Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. This morning, we're continuing in the book of Nahum, uh, and we're talking about a subject that absolutely no one, and I mean absolutely no one, wants to talk about, God's judgment on all humanity, right? No one is excited about it. No one's like, oh, I couldn't wait to hear that topic. No one's going to work tomorrow, and like, you can't, you know, believe what we talked about and be excited to tell their coworkers about it, because it's a harsh topic. Um, now, in the book of Nahum, Nahum is specifically talking about and prophesying about God's judgment on the Assyrian Empire, of which Nineveh is the capital city. Uh, but overall, it's a reminder for us that God is going to judge all the nations of the world, and God is going to judge all humanity. But we also need to understand, because I know no one likes talking about this topic, uh, that just as God is a God of judgment... He's also a God of love and kindness and mercy. So um, if you want to turn to the book of Nahum, I'm going to put some other verses up here on the screen uh, really quick. So uh, Solomon, wisest person ever lived outside of Jesus, right? Extremely wise person. Although he made mistakes in his life, even though he had like God's wisdom, uh, at the end of his life, he sits back and he looks at all the things he's done, all the things he's accomplished, all the things he's purchased with his money, all the mistakes he made, and he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And this is what he writes in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, in chapter 3, he says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil this is the gift of God. So Solomon says, hey, he says, I've got the wisdom of God, and I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy, right, uh, to do good to one another, treat one another good, uh, and, and, and that while they are living, they eat and they drink. And we said that's like a euphemism for living their best life and find satisfaction in their work. And he says, this is, this is the gift that God gives to humanity, that we not only um, you know, live, but that, yes, we live our best lives, we enjoy life, that, we, that when we go to work, it's to a work that we enjoy, that we enjoy doing, that we're not like, I can't dread going there, and that also, while we're eating and drinking, we're living our best life, we're having fun. A lot of people think God is just this God of rules, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, says, hey, God wants us to live our best lives. And even our best lives cannot compare to Solomon's life because no matter how good we have it, we'll never have it as good as like being a, like the money he had, if you take all the millionaires on the planet and triple it, it still wouldn't equate to it. I mean, he was the richest of the rich. He was like sit on a gold throne with full gold lions as your armrest while people bring you boatloads of gold and silver and jewels and animal rich, that was his best life. And he says, granted, God's not going to give that to all of us, but God wants us to live our best life. Here's the problem, though. 
Because he goes on, he says, I saw something else under the sun, that mean, under the sun meaning out of all life experience and that all my wisdom can accumulate. He says, I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. So where there was supposed to be judgment, like God's morality, God's judgment upon mankind that was supposed to be fair, instead, amongst humanity, it was filled with wickedness. Where there was supposed to be like justice and righteousness amongst humanity, it was filled with wickedness because we're human. But he adds this. He said, and I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. So Solomon, wisest person on the planet, he looks and he says, hey, um, I can't see where we're ever going to see righteous and justice prevail without God involved because of the wickedness of man. Uh, he sums it up, or I sum it up uh, this way. He says, we can't live out God's plan for us to live our best lives, be good to one another, enjoy the work that we do. We can't live it out because of the wickedness and the injustice of man. And I keep hearing people say, well, how come God allows like this to happen? And how come God allows cancer to prevail? That's not God's fault. There is enough money on the planet. If we wanted to cure cancer, we could cure cancer. How come God allows babies to starve? That's not God's fault. There's enough money and food on the planet to feed every single person breakfast, lunch, dinner three times over. Problem is, we as people say, well, yeah, we could get food to the starving people, but we're only going to do it at a cost. That's not God's fault. That's our fault. We're the reason that people are starving. But we all want justice to prevail. We all want to see um, people um, uh, that do wrong pay the penalty for what they did wrong. We want to see people that have not done wrong not be penalized along with the people who have done wrong, right? That's why we watch all these judge shows like Judge Judy and Judge Million, which are going off the air, such a sad time. But uh, that's why, because we want to see justice prevail. We want to see uh, uh, the, the bad people get what they deserve. And we want to see the good people not penalized for just being good. But we can't because of the wickedness and the injustice of man. And actually, I'm going to put this back up, but in the message version, because this is what the message version says, which is basically the Bible in plain English. says, Solomon said, I took another good look at what's going on, and then the very place of judgment, corrupt. And the place of righteousness, corrupt. And we see that in, in, in our legal system. We see it in our political system. We see it in our economic system. There is just corruption. And we don't want to create a world where nobody works and everyone gets something for free. But we do want to create a world where people are allowed to go to work and enjoy their work and live their best lives and not be penalized just for doing the right thing. So according to the wisest man in history, again... God is the only just and righteous judge. The only way we're going to see a good justice and righteous system come about is through God, which brings us to the book of Nahum. So if you have your Bible, open it up 
uh, to the book of Nahum, chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 1, there aren't four chapters, chapter 1. I am just not in my right mind today. I don't know what's going on, and I can't blame food because I don't smell any. Um, so in, in Nahum chapter 1, right, this is what he says, verse 4. He says, key, meaning God, rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither in the blossoms of leaven and fade. And how many people remember, this is uh, poetic language, right? This is him using poetic language. He says, the mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence. He's basically saying, using poetic language to say, God is God. There is no one like God. He says, the world and all who live in it, who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? which, he says, is his wrath. His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. So he's basically saying this. He's saying, God is God. There is no one in the universe like God. Nobody like God. But, but, he also says in verse 7, the Lord is good. He's a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust him. God is God. No one can endure his anger and his wrath when he pours it out, but he also says that same God is the one who comforts us and helps us and is there for us when we need him. But in verse 8, he says this, but with an overwhelming flood, and if you have a pen or pencil, underline that because we're going to come back to that. That's significant. With an overwhelming flood, he will make an, <clears throat> excuse me, an end of Nineveh, he will pursue his foes into darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring it to an end. Trouble will not come a second time, meaning once God gives his judgment, there's no appeals. It's not like you're going to get a second chance, although God gives opportunity and opportunity by sending prophets, by sending people to warn about his judgment. And then he says, they will be entangled among thorns and drunk from wine. They will be consumed like a dry stubble. But then look at this. He says, from you, O Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and counsels wickedness. Now, 2 Kings, um, stay there in Nahum, talks about the fact that for over a century, like a hundred years, the Assyrians came after the Israelites. They, they conquered the northern kingdom, and then they started like coming after the southern kingdom again and again and again. Now, God allowed them to conquer the northern kingdom as a form of discipline. Just like he sent prophets to Nineveh, he sent prophets to the northern kingdom and said, hey, your wickedness, your evil, your, your idolatry, it needs to stop or you're going to pay the cost. And they didn't listen, so he allowed the Assyrians to come in and conquer them. But then the Assyrians went too far and they started messing with and attacking the southern kingdom. And this is what 2 Kings says. In 2 Kings chapter 18, it says, the king of Assyria, and Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, sent his supreme commander, his chief officer, and his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They came up to Jerusalem and stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Now, a few verses later, it says this. The field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? And the reason he said that is because Israel got so tired of being attacked that they said, hey, you know what? We'll pay you to leave us alone. 
Anyone ever been bullied in school and you had to give your lunch money to the bully and your stomach's growling, but you're like, I'd rather be hungry than beat up? That's what they were doing. They were like, we'll pay you to stop attacking us. And they became what's called a vassal kingdom. They were still called, you know, Israel, but they were under the kingdom of the Assyrian Empire. But then they said, you know what? Enough. We're done We're going to take our chances. We're going to try to get help from here. We're going to pray about it. We're going to seek God. We're going to see if these neighbors will help us. And then this is what they responded with, with, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? They're like, do you know who we are? You can't stop us. And then this might be where they went a tad too far. He said, furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? Not saying word from their gods, Word from Jehovah, the God of the Israelites, the Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. That might be where they went too far, saying that we're doing this in the name of God. We're doing this thing that defies the will of God in the name of God. And God's response in verse 13 of Nahum, now I will break their, meaning the Ninevites, the Assyrian yoke from your neck and true tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. Now, this is, this is, and I may be stretching this, but there is no one like who can trace their lineage back to the Assyrians. They kind of died off. If you go do uh, one of those ancestry.com things, it's not going to come up part Irish, part French, part Assyrian. They're, they're, They're gone. They don't exist anymore. He says, I'm going to destroy the carved images and cast idols that are in the temple of your gods. I'm going to prepare your grave for you are vile. And God made the decision that, hey, you guys are so vile and so wicked and so disrespectful to God. Because remember, all nations are supposed to serve God. He issued judgment against them. Now, they were destroyed because they had no respect for the lives of others. They had no respect for God. They had no respect for other people or other kingdoms. Their thing was, hey, we don't care what you think. You either come under us or we destroy you. And that doesn't sound like someone who wants people to live their best lives and just enjoy their work and love others like that's God's plan. So God said, hey, you know what? I'm going to judge them. And he does that same thing to nations then throughout the Bible to nations since then, in our current time, and to all humanity. He says there's a line, and if you guys cross it, then you're going to have to deal with my judgment. And a lot of people will say, well, this is unfair of God. How can God get to like, judge all these nations? It's not fair that he just comes on and destroys nations and that he's going to judge humanity. And I'm like, it's not like he doesn't give us fair warning. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet to his people and to all these other nations, and they just didn't want to believe it. It's the equivalent of um, not saying anyone in here ever speeds, but if you're driving down the highway doing 89 in a 55, and you fly by a sign that says, speed enforced in this area... And for you, that's a sign to go 99 instead of slow down. And you hear the sirens, and you see the flashing lights in your mirror, 
You can't blame the police. It's not their fault. And if you get a ticket, and then the cops leave, and you go back to doing 89 in a 55, and again, you see the flashing lights in your mirror, and you get another ticket, you can't blame. And if three months later, you're doing 89 in a 55, and you get a ticket, you can't blame, you can't say it was entrapment, you can't say, oh, it's the police. You can't say, oh, this is the way our government is because you blew past all the signs that said, don't do this. There is a consequence if you do this. That's not the government's fault. It's not the police's fault. And it's not God's fault when he gives us his word and he gives us uh, like, granted, he doesn't send prophets to us today, but he gives us his word. And when he sent to those nations, prophet after prophet after prophet, and they just chose to do what they wanted to do. And God said, here's the consequence. And they continued to do the action. And then God brought upon them the consequence. We don't get to blame God, right? It's not God's fault that they chose not to do that. So today, God gives us his word. And we've seen, maybe not everyone, but we have seen over and over and over historically how his word has been fulfilled. So if we read that there are consequences for our sins and judgments for our actions, and we've seen it historically carried out, it's not God's fault if we continue to rebel against him and he brings upon us the consequences for our action. Now, I want to show you something because this is another historical uh, thing. In verse 8, and again, this is poetic language, so it's hard to differentiate without knowing, but that's why I'm going to share it with you. Verse 8, Nahum wrote, but with an overwhelming flood, he, meaning God, will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. Now, uh, uh, pay attention. So, People with smartphones, pull out your smartphone. Um, there is a guy named Diodorus Siculus. You cannot make these names up. I am not making this up. Somebody Google Diodorus, right? He was an ancient Greek historian, because I want you to see, I'm not making this up. Ancient Greek historian who wrote Bibliotheca Historica. Now, Bibliotheca doesn't mean it has anything to do with the Bible. It's just a Greek word meaning book. So it's a book of history. He was a Greek historian who wrote a book of history, and this is what he wrote between 60 and 30 BC. He wrote, in the third year of the siege on Nineveh by the Babylonians, heavy rains caused a nearby river to flood part of the city and break part of the walls. And he wrote that contributed to the overthrowing of the Assyrian Empire. Now, here's the thing. Some people will say, That's just some random coincidence, right? That doesn't mean it is true. Here's the other thing, right? Somebody Google uh, Xenophon. Again, not making these names up. These are like real names. Xenophon. He was a Greek military leader, philosopher, and historian who wrote this book called Anabas. Be very careful when you're Googling Anabas because with a typo, weird stuff could come up like you wouldn't believe. But it's an account of the 10,000 mercenaries hired by Cyrus to seize the Persian throne. And again, the same Cyrus, 
that the Bible speaks of, the same Cyrus that God called by name, I think it was like over 250 years before Cyrus was born and said, I'm going to use you to free my people, right? Xenophon wrote this book called Anabas about this account with the mercenaries. And here's what he also wrote. He referred to, and this is from his book Anabas, terrifying thunder from heavy rainstorms which were associated with the capture of Nineveh. Two separate historians had nothing to do with the Bible, could care less about the Bible, but in separate instances, and they're separated by several hundred years, each validate that, yeah, it was a flood that brought an end to Nineveh, just as God said. And there are other things like this throughout the book of Nahum we'll look at um, next week. We'll look at a few more next week. But when you see this, right, and you see these type of things, they may seem like minor coincidences, but they're fulfilling prophecy of God's word of, hey, I'm going to judge the nations and have them bear the consequences for their actions. And again, over a dozen of these, we'll talk about more next week. Um, so we don't send prophets to nations as God did to say, hey, there are consequences for your actions. Today, we send like missionaries, uh, and we're not the only ones, around the world to share not just about the consequences of their actions, but about the goodness and the grace and the love of God. And uh, Jessica, uh, she's one of the missionaries uh, I posted, she sent us not just to us, but a, a YouTube video of her latest update. And I say latest, I was late to post it. It's from earlier this month where she was at a conference helping to equip people in Africa and Asia to share the gospel. The Oliveras family, they're in Chile, and this is August, so um, not yet. But when we go into the fall, that's when they go into their summer season, and they start bringing in youth from all over Chile and all over the city of Santiago, and they, they, they do... Uh, games with them. They have a great campus, looks like a resort with swimming pools, basketball courts, cabins, and, and tennis courts, and soccer fields. And they do all these sports activities with them. And then like every 20 minutes or so in between, they'll stop, they'll pray with them, and they'll share the gospel with them. And usually, uh, over the course of however many weeks they do this, I forget, they'll have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids. And out of those at least, they say, 20 to 30% of them will return with more of their friends to hear the gospel. Uh, and Jane, she's in Africa as well. She's actually going to be here in December because I believe she's retiring after, I think, like 30 or 40 years. Uh, Karen Zando travels around the world uh, equipping businesses, uh, sports facilities, sports people um, in, in how to share the gospel. And Travis is local. Uh, to this area, equipping students how to go into their schools and share the gospel with their fellow students and fellow friends. So God, instead of having us send prophets, he will send people who just know his word and love his word to equip other people to share his word. But here's the question. Who do you think God is going to send into your homes and into your community, and into your workplaces. He's not going to send Jessica or the Oliveras family. He won't even send Travis. He's going to send you. Because you're the one who can communicate to your friends and loved ones that, yeah, there is a wrath that God is going to pour out 
consequences for our sins that his, his, and this is again the message version that who can face such towering anger who can stand up to this fierce rage his anger spills out like a river of lava his fury shatters boulders only you can find the best way to communicate that to your loved ones, to your friends, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to the people in your community, and only you can also communicate, because it's not one or the other, it's both, that that same God is good, that he's a hiding place in tough times, that he recognizes and welcomes anyone looking for help. I mean, you can bring them here, and they can hear this message, and they'd be like, I don't even know who Nahum is, why am I listening to this? And that may not speak to them, or you could take them out to coffee or stand with them uh, in your workplace or as you're walking through the parking lot or maybe as you're chatting online and say, you know, yeah, there is a consequence for our sin, but that same God offers us an opportunity to experience his love and his goodness and grace and be a part of his kingdom forever. Only you can effectively communicate that to your loved ones. I'm going to ask the band to come up, uh, and we're going to close out... uh, with a song again. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And as you do, I'm going to ask you to think about the person maybe in your community. Think about that neighbor that you want to share the gospel with. Think about that family member or that friend or that coworker or it may be, it may be uh, your children and they may be grown like mine. It may be um, someone that you went to school with and you just reconnected with and you're, you're watching or seeing or hearing about all the trials and the troubles and the struggles that they're going through and you're trying to find the way to tell them about the God who could help them through it, who would be a refuge in times like this. Think about them. And God, we pray that for that person, that you would use us, you would equip us, you would give us the words, the wisdom, the insight, the strength through your Holy Spirit to speak your truth to those people, that they might experience your love, goodness, grace, and mercy, but so that they might also know that there is a consequence for the sins that separate them from you. Allow us to do it in a way that doesn't bring up uh, confusion or anger or frustration, but in a way that doesn't water down or change the truth of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.